What is going on, everyone? It's Adam and Reed here, your host of the Another Hole in the Wall Sports Podcast. Here to talk to you today about a few things going on in the NBA and the MLB, starting with a couple monster performances in the NBA last night. We'll start with Jason Tatum, 53 points, a career high, an overtime win against the Timberwolves. Um, I think it shows a lot about this team, how it took 53 points from Jason Tatum on very efficient shooting to beat the Timberwolves in overtime, but they started out losing that game somehow 17. They ended up down 17 at some point against this game, so I guess you just have to take the win at some point. Yeah, um, obviously you're going to know more about this game than me. Um, But, I mean, yeah, I mean, Tatum... I mean, for a while, it was it came in over 30. So, um, yeah, I mean, it just it pretty much looks like he just dominated the game. Um, very high scoring. 145 to 136 is a crazy high scoring game. But yeah. um, the Timberwolves defense is pretty awful, so I guess that kind of makes sense. Except for when Kemper was shooting. I mean, another, just, another day in the office for him, I guess. Shooting horribly. Yeah, not great. Um... <laughs> It, it upsets me because we're almost at the point where I think, well, we can't let him try and be the point guard. We have to run, make sure we don't really run many plays through him because it's just not working at this point when Jalen and Tatum have just been so much better. And even a lot of the day, Smart has just been better offensively. We're going to a point where we almost need Kemba to just be an off-ball option, which is pretty concerning, I would say. Yeah, definitely. I'm looking at this box store. Is D'Angelo Russell on a minutes restriction? He has to be, right? I think he kind of has to be because the thing is, I'm not really Thursday. sure, though, because he played, like, I think throughout overtime, so. Uh, he played 29 minutes. Um, if he's not on a minutes restriction, why are we starting Ricky Rubio over him? Uh, I don't really know what to say about that. I'm, I'm assuming he's on a minutes restriction just coming back from his injury, but. Um, if he's not, can we? I mean, even if he is, we need to play. We at least did start him and let him play with well, that's the guy. future of your team. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. I mean, if we want to talk about it for a minute, um, in terms of Timberwolves' future, I actually think they have a good core: Edwards, Cat, and um, D'Lo. In addition to a guy like Malik Beasley, who I really like, who's been suspended, been injured, but also might have their top pick this year. And if they make a good selection, I think they have the capabilities to be good last year. Cat was incredible. Um, last night, he was basically playing point guard at times, like a Jokic role, just trying to make passes from the top of the, um, key, and he was doing a really good job. Yeah, Towns has always been a really good passer, even dating back to his college days. Um, it's always been a a strength of his, I would say. Um, like you mentioned, getting that pick for Minnesota is going to be huge, because this is going to be a really good draft class, um, especially at the top. And if they can hold on to a top three pick, that would be absolutely huge um, for this rebuild process. Yeah, that's kind of in the same boat, like with the Rockets, as me, is where I think they they only have one way they can both improve, and that's by having their top pick. But they both have the possibility to not have it. If they don't have it, I don't see how either of the teams can really improve since they're both kind of at the max salary. But, of course, D'Lo also hit the most ridiculous bank three I've ever seen to tie that game and send it to overtime last night. But otherwise, he did look really good, too. Yeah. Um, like you said, I think it's a pretty um, pretty uh, good comparison with the Rockets there. Um, both those teams are very similar. 
um, spots. And um, as far as the bank and threes are concerned, um, I'm used to those, so they they don't affect me that much anymore. But um, you'll get there. I'm sure. Um, either way, Tatum was 53. Um, last time a Celtics scored 53 was Isaiah Thomas in the playoffs. Um, and before that, I believe it was Larry Bird with 60 back in 85. So certainly in top of Celtics history right now. Also something uh, to note, Marcus Smart is now top five in three-pointers made all time for the Celtics. That's, that's kind of a crazy stat. Um, he's not even, I wouldn't say, like a great three-point shooter necessarily. Right. I think he's... Um, it just shows that players are shooting them at a way, way higher rate than they ever have before, really. Right. I mean, Smart, basically all his shots, so basically like layups or like threes, he shoots most of his shots are threes. I'd say he's like about an average shooter at this point in the career, but early on in his career, it was obviously pretty ugly, but he stuck with it. And he's close to passing Ray Allen on Celtics all-time leaderboard for threes, which I don't know how it's possible. And he might blow by him if he plays out at least through this contract with the Celtics. Yeah, Ray Allen was not on the Celtics for as many years as you would think. But still... Like but the still, idea, but still, it's Ray Allen. So anytime you're passing him in any shooting category, it's still impressive. Mm-hmm. Um, another great performance last night was Levine, and you could also say Trey Young. Levine had 39 at halftime last night. I believe 25 straight points for the Bulls. Yet somehow he only got 11 in the second half, and the Bulls end up losing by about 14 because Trey Young had a near triple double, 40 point triple double. The Hawks end up winning, and they're actually closing in on the Bucks now in the standings race. Yeah, um, like you mentioned, when, when I had seen that Levine had nearly 40 at halftime, I was thinking he's going to go for an easy 60, mm-hmm. and he has the potential to maybe even get to the Devin Booker um, 70 range. But um, Of course, that was against the Celtics. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, but obviously... Not a great second half compared, obviously, to the first half. But, um, I mean, just, I mean, the Bulls had Levine, Vucevic, and then really no production anywhere else on the team. Um, definitely, they're going to have to bring in another player somehow to be able to help those two guys because they, it can't just be a two man show every night. Yeah, I mean, in terms of the rest of the players, I really like Patrick Williams. A lot of people hated that pick, but I think he's been he's been an excellent defender and really knows his role with this team. But I just think they really need a legit point guard, um, and that will be the separator for this team. Someone who can make life easier for Levine and Vucevic and do a little bit of scoring on his own. Yeah, yeah, I definitely agree. And as for Trey Young, um, I mean, he had a little bit of a slower start to the season, but he's really been playing. Um, good basketball recently. Mm-hmm. Um, doesn't necessarily get like the the media coverage, I would say, of, of most other younger stars, but definitely, definitely has been playing really good basketball recently, and um, is I would say probably the main reason the Hawks are in the position they are right now. Yeah, and like we said before, ever since the coach had been fired, they've been playing incredibly. We've talked about that before, and it just keeps on going right now. I mean, I don't think they're that. Like I said, they are not far off the Bucks right now in terms of standings in the East. And this is a team that seemed like it was going to be a borderline playoff team um, come once the season started. I thought they were going to make it, but not in this. Fa- I didn't think in this fashion it would be. The Hawks are currently they're four and a half back of the Bucks. And yeah. So not as close as I thought, but 
the way they're playing, I mean, if they can certainly easily contain that force by at least, I think. Yeah. Um, another thing to note, though, is there are a lot of teams behind them that are, are pretty close, so right. they have to keep playing how they have been to maintain um, that four-slash-five mm-hmm. um, spot. And one more note on these big performances. I just want to take everyone back to a moment in time where I was told Kyle Kuzma was significantly better than Tatum because Kyle Kuzma had scored 30 in an NBA game. Tatum hadn't scored 30 in his NBA career up to his junior year, despite leading his team to the conference finals as a rookie. I This this is just what I was told. Now here he is a year later with tons of 30-point games, a couple 40-point games, and now a 50-pointer. So... Shows how quickly that can change, I would say. Yeah, um, I don't necessarily have anything to add on that. I think you you hit the nail on the head. Yeah, that's what I do. (laughs) (laughs) We're going to look at the Western Conference standings right now in um, in the NBA, and it's not really what you expect, I would think. Jazz, number one, they've been phenomenal this year. Suns, number two. Clippers, three. Nuggets, four. Lakers 5, they're without LeBron and AD right now, obviously. Trailblazers 6, Mavericks 7, Grizzlies 8. Then we also got the Spurs, Warriors, and Pelicans rounding out the group underneath. Yeah, um, I think the the big surprises are the Jazz and the Suns at 1 and 2. Um, I expected both these teams to be good, but not, not the top two teams in the West. Obviously, can't predict injuries with the Lakers. Um, I think they'd probably be up there if they had um, their two guys that you mentioned. But, mm-hmm. um, yeah, I think one and two spots are definitely surprising. Everything else seems about – I think it's like the, the right teams, I would say, but the order may be different than a lot of people thought it would be. Right. We're going to go through it. Starting with the Jazz, I mean, besides Gobert, who is obviously like – not Reed's favorite player, but certainly just an objectively very good player. Every single guy on that court can shoot the lights out, like 36% plus. Like, they don't have any players that take them out of a rhythm, and it's just kind of incredible to see. You cannot leave anyone open, or else they're going to make you pay. I would say far from my uh, favorite player. Um, <laughs> probably my top three least favorite players, but... Um, whatever, but yeah, I think I think you got it. Um, they're they're. I, I saw a stat a couple weeks ago. I don't know if this is still true, but uh, over forty percent of his shots were threes, and they were hitting them as a team at over a forty percent clip. I mean, sounds about right. Yeah. When you're just when you're hitting that many threes, it's tough to compete um, as an opposing team. I mm-hmm. remember when they were playing the Sixers, they took I think around twenty more threes. Um, Lost in overtime, Donovan Mitchell blamed the refs after getting ejected. Whatever. Here um, it comes, guys. Here it comes. <laughs> um, but, I mean, yeah, when, when you shoot the ball that efficiently, you got a chance to beat anyone on any given night. Mm-hmm. Now we look at the Suns at number two. I mean, the addition of Chris Paul, that co- that side of the court with Devin Booker and also DeAndre Ayton, who was my pick to win most improved, along with a lot of great role players like um, Cameron Johnson, Cameron Payne, Jay Crowder, who they added, and Mikal Bridges. I mean, it's just such a complete team. And the addition of Chris Paul and improvement of Aiton have just taken them that one next step further. Yeah, um, you forgot my guy, my guy um, Dario Saric. Yep. But it's okay. 
and um, Frank the Tank Kaminsky. <laughs> but yeah, I, I think we, we both were really high on this Suns team coming into the season. And um, I think they even exceeded our expectations for them, quite frankly. Um, Chris Paul is just one of those guys who he's just a winning player. Every team he's on is just, is just so good. good. And I mean, like you said, those role players for the Suns have been huge. Mikel Bridges is, I think, one of the more underrated players in the league. Um, I'm saying the Sixers traded him for nothing, but that's fine. Um, another note for I mean, another day. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, yeah, I really, I really like the Suns team, um, and I think they can, they can make some noise come the playoffs. Yeah. Um. One, a couple things to know is I had them finishing about four and five, but they looked like they're gonna, they've exceeded my expectations so far. Um. Booker and Chris Paul, obviously both all-stars, and Booker having another tremendous season. I think people underrate how good Booker is just because he's been doing it for so long with so many bad teams in the past on this Suns team, but he's been great. And one more note to say is when the Heat traded for Iguodala and Jay Crowder, all the news was about Iguodala, not me. I wanted Crowder. I knew he was going to have a huge impact for that Heat team, and I was right. He was a killer in the playoffs, just doing his job and hitting threes. Yeah, Jay Crowder, um, one of the best glue guys, I guess you could say, in the mm-hmm. league. Um, he was he was really good with the Celtics. Then he, I mean, he's <laughs> been all the over days. the place, but everywhere he's went, he's been he's been a really good player. Yeah, um, just a guy that you want if you're. If you're a team trying to compete in the playoffs, I would say, especially off your bench. Yep. Moving on to the Clippers, um, this is about where we expected them, the third seed, I would say. Um, the big thing for them recently is having Rondo. Um, I think he should be playing more, quite frankly. Um, we've talked about that trade. Lou Will had just kind of fallen out of favor because he's not he's a score first guy, and they have two superstars on the team with PG and Kawhi. But I think Rondo should, frankly, play a lot more because he played less than like Reggie Jackson the other night, but he's been actually a great fit. I love him on the team. Um, and he's just like the true point guard that they've needed for so long that complements Kawhi and Paul George and the rest of the group. Yeah, um, I think neither one of us really loved that trade at the time. I think we liked the idea around the trade of getting a point guard, but I don't think we loved what they gave up necessarily in Lou Will and two picks. Um, I- but, I mean, they went after their biggest needs, so I guess you can't really fault that. Um, this is a team that they, they just need to prove it in the playoffs at this point. Um, right. And nothing they can do this regular season is going to change anyone's mind about them. This is a team that needs needs to prove it in the playoffs. And like Chuck said the other day, I saw I've been, um, I've been skinny, I've been fat, yeah. I've been to the Hall of yeah. Fame and back. The Clippers has, have always sucked. And... I hate to sign with Chuck here, but he's been right. Uh, this is a team that just really needs to prove in the playoffs. Yeah, I mean, I mean, like, like, like I said, nothing they can do in this regular season will change anyone's mind. It's going to make people forget the three-one lead they blew to the Nuggets and Paul George miss uh, shooting a wide-open corner three off the side of the backboard. I mean. My favorite, my favorite moment of this NBA season was when everyone was giving Paul George heat throughout the offseason, and then game one of the season, he accidentally makes the extra pass, but it was to a person... To no one. <laughs> to no <yeah>. one. <laughs> I felt bad for I mean, him at that point. 
Listen, I, I think Paul George is a good player, and I don't think that that playoff stretch last year was defining um, him of him indicative of the player he actually is. But um, he needs a good playoff the performance playoffs if he wants to be known as as one of the top players right. in the game. And um, one last thing I'll say is that. I understood the idea of the Lou Will and Rondo trade. I just didn't really think the value was there because Lou Will has been a six-man of the year a couple times, one of the best scoring um, bench players of all time. And to trade him for a guy who, like Rondo, who has been traded a lot, a lot the last few years and hadn't really even played this year, just the value wasn't there for me. But however, I totally understand them wanting Rondo. And then sometimes you just got to do what you got to do, I think, is what I'll say there. Yeah, I think I think I'm on the same page as you right. um, when it came to that trade. Moving on, we got the Nuggets in the four seed. Um, what can we say? Nikola has been an MVP player. Um, Jamal Murray has been pretty good. The big thing is that Michael Porter Jr. has been one of the best off-ball scorers in the NBA this season, and they have not lost since trading for Aaron Gordon. I think a move a lot of people are forgetting about. That's a serious starting uh, lineup they have going on right now. Yeah, the first thing I was going to mention was um, the Aaron Gordon trade. Um, he seems to be fitting into his role there and mm-hmm. helping that team perfectly. Um, obviously, Jokic, one of the best players in the league. I think a lot of people maybe had a little bit too high of expectations for Jamal Murray coming off the playoff run year where he was just absurdly good. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe hasn't quite lived up to the expectations of some but he's still he's still a great a great player, and on any given night can go off forty. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, this is a dangerous team, um, and one I wouldn't want to see as a first round matchup. Um, I mean, as it looks right now, they play the Lakers. I don't think it'll finish like that. But I mean, as it's possible, right now, that'd be that's insane. Not a matchup first match, I'm a Lakers fan. Yeah, and what's so special about this uh, Nuggets team is like. To have a center who can move the ball like he does, and then a point guard like Jamal, and then having a scorer like MPJ who doesn't really do anything with the ball often, but off the ball is able to score so well. And then obviously Aaron Gordon has been great defensively on both sides. It's just a really well-rounded team right now, I think. Yeah, I, I, I agree, yeah. And moving on to that five seed, the Lakers, I mean, what is it really dis- I mean. I'm going to forever say they should have made the Lowry trade, but they're just waiting for LeBron and AD back, and there's not much really else to say, I think. Yeah, uh, I think they were in the top, top-ish top couple seeds, and then when you lose your two best players, I mean, you, you kind of expect a little uh, dropping in the standings. Right. I, I saw a report today that AD could be expected back within the next two-ish weeks, which um, would be huge, and then I think LeBron not too far after him. Right. So they could, I think they'll they'll probably rise up the standings a little bit before the playoffs. Um, but as long as those two guys are healthy going into the playoffs, I don't think the seed should really? matter too much for them. It does not matter to me. Moving on to number yeah. six, we got the Trailblazers. Um, we had noted this before. Made an interesting trade at the deadline to get Norman Powell for um, Gary Trent. Gary Trent, last I checked, had 33 on seven and nine threes, though, at the in the third quarter of the Raptors game. That was a move that I didn't really like for them. I loved it for the Raptors, but they've been playing really good. I mean, obviously you have Dame, who's a legit all-star, CJ, who's one of the guys who's always like a just miss for the all-star game, and my guy, Ennis Cantor, playing really well in what they need. I mean, he's been a tr- atrocious defender, obviously, but he gives them what they need on the glass, so. 
Yeah, Gary Trent's got 39 right now. I, I hear him if he's at 39 or 37, but um, whatever. Um, I also have my guy, Robert Covington. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the best 3 and D guys um, in basketball, really. Yeah. Um, this was a team I, I was pretty high on going into the season. Um, and they, they've been maybe a little worse than I expected, but with all the looking at the teams ahead of them, I don't think they're better than any of them, so I guess... This is right where I think I think they should be. Right. Um, I mean, anytime you have Damian Lillard on your team, um, you're going to be a tough a tough team to beat. Um, we've seen time and time again him hit clutch shots in the playoffs. Um, just just a team that I I I just enjoy watching and I like a lot of the players. Right. Not, not a big Yusuf Nurkic fan though. Not, not a big Yusuf Nurkic fan, but um, outside of him. I like a lot of the players. Reed has an agenda a lot of against a lot of NBA centers, just so we know. But we, we should we should make an episode going over our least favorite players in the league. Yeah. Um, I know half of them are Celtics players for Reed. One of them is well, definitely Marcus Morris. Former Celtics players. Yeah, Marcus Morris is going to be up there. But we'll save that for another time. And the only thing I'll say with the Trailblazers is obviously they didn't have CJ for some portion of this year, and that's didn't help, and Nurkic has been out for a lot of this year as well. Moving on to number seven. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, moving on to number seven, we got the Mavericks. They started off pretty slowly this year. Uh, Luka was shooting horrendously from three to start the year. And there were even some talks about, like, did they lose out on that Porzingis trade because he hadn't played? And then there were talks about him being traded. Um, that is not the case anymore because their pick was also going to be higher value for the Knicks. That is not the case anymore. 29 and 22, seven seed. Um, Luca has been incredible down this and over the last ever since the first month or so of the season. I would say hitting threes at a great amount. Porzingis has been super good when healthy, and also guys like Tim Hardaway and um, Josh Richardson have been really good. I still don't think they have like enough guys around their two superstars. I shouldn't say superstar about Porzingis, but you know what I mean to really get them too far in the playoffs, but this is a definite playoff team with a lot of talent on the roster. Yeah, uh, this was... I had them, I think, at the in the three seed coming into the season. I'm a team I expected um, to just be, be one of the best teams in the league, um, especially in the West, I would say. Um, I think I had Luka as my MVP pick early on, too. Um, obviously got off to a really rough stretch, and that... That kind of cost them as far as the standings are. But anytime you got Luke on your team, um, you're going to be a good team. Um, something to note is the Braves just scored a run. Um, Freddie Freeman hit a chopper back to Jose Alvarado, who panicked and made the throw home late, scoring a run. So That's literally just what happened in the Red that. Sox game. That exact play literally just happened in the Red Sox game to, for, to allow the Orioles to tie it. Yeah, well, the Braves just took the lead, so not great. Um, yeah. All right. Move, moving on to our last uh, regular playoff team. I'm gonna, we got the Grizzlies. Um, kind of an interesting team led by John Morant. Jaron Jackson has not played at all this season, but otherwise they have a lot of good players that I like. Comfortably at the eight seed right now, um, above the Spurs and the Warriors, and we'll have to see if they can hold on to that one. Yeah, this was a team I think a lot of people had outside of the playoffs. I believe I had them inside of my playoffs, for sure. Um, John Morant's one of the best young players in the game and doesn't 
really seem to get the attention necessarily that I think he should. Um, I mean, a guy like Jonas Valanciunas is a really good center. Mm-hmm. I, I love Brandon um, Clark had personally. Jackson Jr. the whole season. I think he's. I don't think he's played a game this year. Yeah, he he's another really good young player. So um, this is a team that maybe this year may not be their year. It definitely isn't. But um, some a team that's got a lot, a lot of really good young players that um, is looking good for the future. Yeah, and um, Brandon Clark is a guy I really like, and there's many others on that team. Just like an overall solidly built team, and we'll have to see where the future takes them, I think. Yep. And moving on to the Spurs, um, they lost to Marcus Aldridge. I don't know if they're really going to be able to hold on to the spot with the Warriors and Pelicans right behind them, but, I mean, DeMar DeRozan has been great. So is Keldon Johnson this year. And this is a team where they have some young players where I think, I don't think they hold on to the spot, quite frankly, but I think they're starting to set themselves up for the future pretty well. Yeah, this sort of feels like, in my opinion, like kind of like the last ride um, for some of these guys. Like, I, they might bring DeMar DeRozan back, but it just doesn't seem like they necessarily should. Mm-hmm. Um, this is kind of a weird team. They're kind of like in the middle of nowhere here, and they they kind of got to pick a direction this summer, I would say. Right, for sure. After them, we got the Warriors, um, a team that literally is... Steph Curry and Draymond Green. If either one of them don't play, I don't really feel like they have a chance to win. Otherwise, that's one of the best duos in the NBA right now. Draymond has been great on with his playmaking and his defense and his rebounding and all that. Curry has been one of the obviously one of the best players in the NBA this year, just not too much around them. However, Wiseman has looked really good uh, as the season has moved on. Yeah, um... I think you pretty much got everything with this team. Um, they, they go as Curry goes, pretty much. Um, he's their only real scoring threat, I guess. Mm-hmm. I, I think Andrew Wiggins has actually been pretty decent this year, too. Yeah. But um, obviously not having Clay has been, has been really pretty brutal for them. Right. And I know they got off to a pretty rough start this season when Draymond was out, but once he came back, he was able to give them the extra playmaking edge and defensive edge they needed, and it's been... He's been so important this year, and he's one of my more underrated players of all time, quite frankly. Yeah, um, a team that, if they get Clay back and make a couple moves this offseason, can definitely be back towards the top of the West, I would say. Mm-hmm. And we're going to mention our 11 seed, the Pelicans. Um, Zion has just been one of the best players in the NBA, and Lonzo and Ingram have had good years, obviously. But, um, I mean, this just... M- Bledsoe has been horrible this year, and just the structure of this team, I just don't really like. Um, having a guy like Adams and Zion in your starting lineup where there's just multiple guys who can't really shoot, it's just not, to me, a not well-structured team. Yeah, I think I had mentioned a couple months back, maybe, I think um, Zion is actually underrated at this point in his career, which, if you would have told me that a year ago, I would have thought you were crazy, but it really seems like they've just, like, when I say that, I mean, like, the media, like, the people who post highlights and stuff, it really feels like they've kind of moved on from them. They're on to, like, LaMelo Ball. I know he's hurt now, but um, it feels like Zion's playing extremely well, and it doesn't seem like he's getting a lot of attention for it, which is something I wouldn't have really expected at all. Speaking of that, um, I'm going to bring something else up quickly. 
I believe it was ESPN released their top 25 under 25. One and two were Zion and Luca, obviously, but number three, LaMelo Ball against in front of a lot of guys like Tatum, Booker, Donovan Mitchell, who have had playoff runs. I mean, what are your thoughts on that? Um, these lists are always stupid. Um, they do them. They even do them with like the NBA, like GMs. And I remember they they all voted for like I'm trying to think. Like they all voted Carl Anthony Towns as one player they would take to start their franchise. The polls are just they're just dumb. I don't really. I wouldn't put any any stock in them whatsoever. Um, at the end of the day, they're there for clicks. They make money, and you read it. So if they make if they make dumb claims, people read it, and then you're just feeding into that. So I would just not pay any attention to it, quite frankly. Instead, pay attention to us. We we say what's up. Here. <laughs> Moving on to some baseball. <laughs> Moving on to some baseball, Joe Musgrove with a dominant performance last night, a no-hitter with 10 strikeouts. One of my picks to break out this year, and as the number three starter of that Padres team, it just shows to show you, goes to show you how deep that rotation is. Yeah, definitely. Um, I mean, when Clevin, if Clevenger was healthy, he's probably the four, if not maybe even five of that team. Um, uh, that rotation is just incredible. Um, yeah, I mean, a no-hitter first in Padres history, I think. Um, yeah. Good for him. Um, I've, yeah, I mean, anytime you get a no-hitter, it's it's a special thing to remember. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And we're going to look at the other side of baseball, the disappointment with Jacob deGrom, who leads the Mets in hits when he pitches with three. Um, this man, like you've said, told me before, it's a good thing wins aren't cared for anymore. I mean, just 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 look at the stat line today. I mean, eight innings pitched, eight innings one pitched, run, fourteen strikeouts, a loss. I mean, it's it's just ridiculous. At some point, um, the Mets are like a, they're like a good team too, and they right. They're just horrible in the ground pitches. It makes no sense. Um, I mean, this is why I just don't trust the Mets because some. Some stuff always goes wrong for them. I mean, it doesn't make any sense, but it just it just is what it is with the Mets at some point. There's no logic behind it. Um, I'll, I've had a couple notes about this that I tweet about. Um, the Mets are objectively a really good team. No one can really deny that. But yet, some it's not um it's not like other years when the Mets just didn't have any good players other than Degrom, and he'd get these tough losses. Degrom gave up one run. A home run on an 0-2 pitch. That has never happened before, by the way. And that that tags him with the loss. After 14 strikeouts, an incredible pitch count as well. Not only that, but then Edwin Diaz gives up two runs immediately, and then you just know it's over. Then you just turn it off if you're watching that one. Yeah. Um, something to note from the other side of things. Uh, Trevor Rogers was really, really good for the Marlins mm-hmm. today. Um, six innings, 10 strikeouts. And then the bullpen came in and handled handled their business too. Um, the Marlins are a team I sort of like, um, but they've been off to a really really slow start. This was a, I would say a really important win for them to get. And the Mets are two and three, but one of those wins you can argue they they shouldn't have really. Um, been a kind of a slow start for them. Um, I mean, when you're losing Degrom's two starts where he gives up one run combined, it's not ideal. Over fourteen. 
over 14 innings also. And um, speaking of that yeah, Marlins pitching, it's not ideal. speaking of that Marlins pitching, uh, their young staff is really good in case you didn't know it. Sandy has been incredible. Sixto Sanchez is out with an injury right now, or he's opting to the minors, whichever side you want to pick. He's incredible. Um, Pablo Escobar, Trevor, the list goes on. They have a pretty bright future as long as they add some offense when the time comes. Yeah, absolutely. Um, they got the pitching, but they're really, really lacking in, at the offensive side of things. Um, I, I saw, I think they were mentioned as maybe like a potential team for like a Carlos Correa this summer. Um, and obviously, from a Phillies perspective, I don't need all five teams in the division going out and signing guys and trying to win. But from a Marlins perspective, I think that makes a lot of sense. I mm-hmm. mean, they, they have a good team. They just need to, to go out and, and try and get some offense because. I mean, I'm looking at their, their games. I mean, I'm just going to go through this quickly. They've had these, these are how many runs they've scored in all their games. 0, 4, 12, 1, 2, 0, 2, 3. So they've had one game of well, offensive production, I would say. And everything else has been pretty bad. Mm-hmm. Yep. And us. Yeah, I mean, there's not much really... And also, in terms of Prey, the time would probably be perfect to sign him because of all the shortstops that are out there on the market. So that's going to be something to watch, I think, for sure. Yeah. And moving on to our last subject of the day is we're going to talk about the Mets and um, the Yankees. This, I talked about this on the Baseball World Today yesterday. Um, these teams, I just don't love the structure of them. I'll start off with the Yankees. Um, they signed DJ, obviously, in the offseason. And like I've said, in a vacuum, that's a good move. But of course, it's Glaber plays shortstop. You have Jay Bruce right now at first base, bang, ninth, who can't play first base. The rotation is a mess after Cole. The structure of the team, it's like you look at the team and objectively, there's a lot of talent and a lot of good players, but the structure just hasn't been there this season. It shows when they play, I think. Yeah, I, I agree with you. I agree with you. Um, even their bullpen isn't, like it used to be a strength this team. It's not even really good right now. Yeah. Um, it's, it's a weird team. They got a lot of a ton of guys making a ton of money, and then it doesn't feel like they have much after them. I mean, Glaber Torres is is pretty good, but he's been he didn't have a strong year last year, so he's got and he's not a shortstop, and he's not a shortstop, but he's yeah, being forced. Yeah. Speaking of that big contract, got... uh, we're going to talk about Sand in a minute after we go over the Mets. Yeah, yeah. Um, and something to know to make. <laughs> Herman was opting to the minors after this start. A real punch in the gut for him. Um, a real hit for his career. Um, we'll have to see what happens to him after this. But another guy who they thought they were going to count on this season has just been bad. Yeah, um, nice, nice subtle jokes there. Obviously, we don't, we don't like Domingo Herman, but it is what it is. I mean, too bad for him. Um, we don't feel bad for him. Uh, uh, I think it's funny. There's nothing else to really say. <laughs> I think it's funny, quite frankly. Um, and then we look at the mess in their structure. Um, their bullpen is just horrible. I mean, uh, Trevor May and Edwin Diaz are objectively good. Familia stinks. Batances is in is already on the IL. They're just praying to get Seth Lugo go back. And they don't have a legit center fielder, so it forces either Kevin Pillar to be in the lineup. Um... 
which is not good because it forces Dom Smith out of it or it forces Nimmo to play center, which is just, both of those options aren't very good, I would say. Yeah, um, this is a team that was definitely, definitely hoping for a DH. Uh, you got to have Dom Smith's bat in the lineup. He's too good. His, he, playing, him playing left field reminds me of Reese Hoskins playing left field for the Phillies. And it'd be um, 2018. I don't think it's something that's going to last past it, this year. And it's one thing to just have him in left, but no, it's just not a sign of fielder. Yeah, I mean, yeah. Yeah, I, I agree. We wanted to talk about this. We got to talk about Sand's contract and how much it's hindering this Yankees team. Um, First of all, we have to mention one of the, I think the biggest contract at the time of it being signed is it maybe the worst now? I mean, Stan has not been producing for the Yankees at all this year, and it's been injured a ton throughout the years. You got to wonder, will it limit them throughout this next few years, and what, how much of a problem will it be? Yeah, um, I think you could definitely make an argument for other contracts. Um, Miguel Cabrera, Chris Davis, just to name a few. There's definitely tons of others, but... This, like we, like we were talking about this earlier, um, I think you brought it up that it hurts the Yankees especially because they're a team that's trying to win mm-hmm. right now. The teams like the Tigers and Orioles who have bad contracts, it's not a huge, huge deal because they're not going out trying to sign guys. They're, 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 they're rebuilding, so it doesn't hurt them that badly. Yeah, and... um. And the last thing to note with Stan is the fact that he only plays DH, um, he can't play the field, is a killer to this team as well, because otherwise you could have a guy like Voigt, DHing, or whoever plays first DHing. Then DJ can play first, and then Glaber plays second. It just would, the structure of the team would just be a lot better, but he literally cannot play the field at this point. And that just increasingly hurts the value of the contract to me. Yeah, and I think that's that's a great point. Um, that that's another way they could have potentially fixed their position problems, but it's not possible because their three hundred thirty dollar player um, with like six or seven years left on his contract can't play the field already, um, and still even gets hurt not even playing the field. Mm-hmm. It just causes a lot of problems for them. Right. It's- and not only that, but also the guy you signed um, in the offseason is also making a ton of money, and the other guy is a top play, young player in the game. So it's like you have to play them both. It's almost out of options at this point. I mean, at this point, I don't understand also why Jay Bruce is even playing first. It should, if anything, it should be Mike Ford because he's younger. I don't think he's necessarily good. But at this point, they should also just be shifted over. The problem is they don't really have another shortstop on the roster, I believe. So it just creates so many problems. Yeah, I mean, even if they had, like, I'm trying to think, maybe, like, a guy like... Freddie Galvis. Oh, my God. ...during the offseason. I mean, you could put plug him in at short, move uh, Glaber to second, and play DJ at first, just for a couple months. I think that's better than having Jay Bruce play first, who's not a good defender there, and then it hurts your other defensive positions in the infield as Especially well. Especially when Glaber is already struggling at shortstop. To have, to have him short hop a ball and have a guy who can't pick it is just not going to help anything at all. Yeah, definitely. Alright, so I think that's everything we got for today. Just to wrap it up, Tatum and Levine had in career nights last night. We look over the West race, uh, and Joe Musgrove and DeGrom had some dominant performances, but some very different results. And these New York teams, 
structured aren't perfect right now, and we'll have to see how that affects them throughout the season. Anything else, Dad? I don't think so, no. Um, I got nothing. Hey, everyone, thanks for listening. Have a good one. Um, make sure to follow us on Twitter, and have a good one. Thanks for listening again.